everybody and welcome the travel addict here aka Malcolm Teasdale had a chance to listen to the first part of this podcast which presented some considerations for you to justify a trip somewhere far far away for an adventure of a lifetime so if you pass that little test i'm going to now give you some ideas which you may add to your bucket list for the future of all the books of the world the best stories are found between the pages of a passport it's very true, especially to us travel addicts in the world. If you want to join us, then listen to what I have to say to you over the next 30 minutes or so, and you can add something to your bucket list and hopefully take a trip of a lifetime. Taj Mahal of India. You've heard all about it, and you're probably thinking, where exactly is it? Well, it's sort of Delhi, uh, but it's about four-hour drive from that great city. Direct flights are possible into Delhi, from JFK or various places in Europe. The big question is, why would you want to go there? Well, for starters, it is one of the wonders of the world. It is certainly a spectacular building. So, as I mentioned before, it's sort of easy to get there. Uh, when you arrive in Delhi, India, you may want to spend a couple of days in a hotel somewhere just to get over the jet lag. Obviously, you do not want to be tired when you travel to the Taj Mahal. The Taj Mahal is about a four-hour coach ride from Delhi. Uh, you will stop halfway for uh, refreshments and to stretch your legs. But when you get to Agra, uh, the coach will park in a coach park about 100, 200 yards maybe away from the Taj Mahal itself. Now, you'll have to understand that the area is poor. There are areas of poverty. There are polluted areas, etc. You can picture it, I'm sure. You just have to ignore this because when you get to the gates of the Taj Mahal, things will change. You go in and all of a sudden you're in this area of sheer beauty. Now, before I describe it a little bit more, let me tell you a little bit about the history. The emperor at the time was Shah Jahan. His wife was Mubtaz Mahal. They had 12 kids, but she was about to give birth to their 13th child and she died during that time. Shah Jahan was so upset, he was beside himself. And he actually never recovered from it. What he did do, though, he built this mausoleum as a tribute for his wife. He employed 22,000 people, 1,000 elephants to do the work. It took 17 years to build. It stands about 560 feet high. It's an extraordinary piece of work. But surprisingly, it's not that big. It's his beauty that counts. It's made out of white marble. It's like a massive jigsaw puzzle. That's why it took so long to build. I went to a workshop there to see a manufacturing pieces. It, the pieces are about one inch to two inches large, that's all, but they look like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. They interconnect like a jigsaw puzzle. If you can get there at sunrise and sunset, you'll see the sunshine through the white marble and spawn off all the colors of the rainbow. It's wonderful. You can't go inside because it's a burial place, but you can just walk around and take in the atmosphere. It is justifiably one of the wonders of the world. There is no other building like it anywhere. I give you my word on that. Many years ago, there was a concert played there. Greek musician Yanni played a concert. This doesn't happen too often. He was given special permission to play uh, his music there 
because of the type of music he plays. It's sort of uplifting, classical, new wavish music. It was sold out. There wasn't, they weren't inside the building per se, but they were adjacent to the river overlooking this magnificent building. This concert shares its video with a Yanni concert at the Forbidden City in Beijing, China also. The whole video is absolutely superlative. So please take a look at that. And the atmosphere it generates with the building in the background is, is something to behold. So please put on the video, take a look. You'll likely spend a few hours there, then you'll be heading back to Delhi. Now, of course, you don't fly home from there, but at least you've got to see one of the seven wonders of the world and enjoy the spectacle of it all. Well, it may be worthwhile taking a few extra days in India to see other parts of the country. If you don't really want to do that, then you can get flights onto Asia, get flights into Europe or even to Africa. But anyway, the Taj Mahal is definitely one of the great iconic places in the world to visit. Hope you get to see it one day. Angkor Wat is a famous temple complex situated in Siem Reap, Cambodia. It just happens to be the largest religious monument in the world today. Measuring the site that it sits on measures about 1.6 million square meters. It's enormous. It was originally constructed as a Hindu temple dedicated to the god Vishnu for the Khmer Empire. Then it was gradually transformed into a Buddhist temple towards, I believe, the end of the 12th century. Now, you can't get direct flights to Siem Reap from anywhere in Europe or from North America. So you have to fly through one of the gateway cities in Asia. That's the best way, Bangkok, Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, or Seoul, Korea. Then you get to Cambodia, you get a visa on arrival in Cambodia. It's a bit of an unusual uh, procedure. It takes probably 30 minutes or so. It's not that bad. However, once you get to Siem Reap, there are some wonderful hotels. There isn't a Four Seasons hotel there, but there's some first-class hotels there. And you can certainly hang out in Siem Reap, the town center, and uh, have a nice time. Uh, the Angkor Wat is obviously uh, a wonder of the world also, and it is definitely worth going there one day if you can. Read about it, Google it, and you'll find more about it. The Pyramids of Giza. Giza is an Egyptian city on the west bank of the Nile, very much near Cairo, actually. So if you stay in Cairo, you can get a taxi over to Giza. Now, the Giza Plateau is home to various iconic Egyptian monuments, including three tall pyramids built as a royal mausoleum around, I think, the 26th century BC. The largest of the three, the Great Pyramid, is King Khufu's tomb. There's a great Sphinx there, and uh, which is a vast sculpture of a man's head on a lion's body. There is the Solar Boat Museum display, which is a restored cedar barge found buried near the Great Pyramids. Now, while you're there, you can actually go into one of the pyramids. You take a few steps up the side of the pyramid, there'll be a gateway, and you sort of crawl. You can walk, but it's, it's almost crawling into the central area of the pyramid, which is, in fact, where they would put the body. One of the idea of pyramids, of course, is it thought that it was a preserve the body, health of the body. And uh, that was the idea of pyramids, as far as what I've read. There's probably a lot more to it uh, than that. But there's something about the mathematical perpendicular height of the pyramid, which is 
a little scientific. Anyway, it's an awesome site, and Cairo is pretty easy to get to. Last time I checked, there were direct flights from JFK going to Cairo, but if you don't want to do that all in one go, then obviously stop over at one of the gateway cities in Europe, and that could be London, Paris, Netherlands, uh, Frankfurt, for example. Okay, add that to your bucket list, and maybe you get to see the pyramids one day. I will add this. Cairo has had some issues in the recent years with one thing or another, but I think everything is cleared up now. But to check the government website, travel.state.gov, to be assured that everything is cool and take the trip. One of the greatest pieces of construction ever is the Great Wall of China. It's a collective name for a series of fortification systems that were generally built across the historic northern border of China. Adjacent is Mongolia, of course. It was actually uh, built to protect and consolidate the territories of China and its empires against various nomadic groups of specifically Mongolia, but it stopped invaders. The wall itself is fairly high, and you can go up there and walk along the wall. It's well over 3,000 miles long, I think. It's quite an achievement to build something like this, and you can actually see it from space, I believe. The easiest way to get to uh, the Great Wall of China is actually via Beijing. Now, Beijing, good city to go to, acts as a gateway for you. There's direct flights from Detroit by Delta, I believe. Uh, I flew on Northwest way back when, and I flew... Uh, direct from Beijing, uh, sorry, from uh, Detroit to Beijing, and then I spent some time in Asia uh, before I eventually came back to the United States. It's uh, quite a thing to see, and it makes you think when you're standing on the wall, wow, what an achievement from a construction standpoint, and enjoy it if you can. Many of you may have been to Rome before. It's a great place to go to, and there is a lot of history there, as you can imagine. Two iconic buildings there, uh, well, the, I said two iconic places, are the Colosseum and the Vatican. And the Colosseum, also known as the Flavian Amphitheater, is sort of an oval-type uh, place in the centre of the city. And if you stay at a hotel in the centre of the city, it's very easy to walk there. It was built of travertine, limestone, and brick-faced concrete. It is, however, susceptible to the elements. It has been eroded over time. I've been there twice, and both times I went there, it was under renovation, so to speak. There was scaffolding there. You just have to look by that, go inside, and you can see the wonder of the amphitheater. The floor is taken up, so you'd be able to see the storeroom for the animals and the gladiators, where they waited until they were called for combat. The theater was the biggest at the time. It held between 50,000 and 80,000 spectators. Now, Vatican City, which is a city-state uh, surrounded by Rome, is classed as a country. It's classed as the smallest country in the world. It's the headquarters of the Roman Catholic Church. It is also home to the Pope and a trove of iconic art and architecture. The Vatican Museums house ancient Roman sculptures. There's many of them. There's also, inside, the Sistine Chapel. It's famous for Michelangelo's ceiling, of course, which took how many years to, to paint? I just don't know. There's a sign out there. It says, please, no flash photography and no talking in respect of that sacred place. I've been there twice, and guess what? People do talk, and people take photographs because it's once-in-a-lifetime thing to go there. 
I remember going there myself, but I had to sort of poke people in the ribs. I said, can you just not do that? It's sort of a sacred place. Anyway, Rome is excellent. There's a lot to do in Rome, a lot to do, uh, see and do, of course. And if you stay in the center, I stayed at, I think, the Art Immediate Hotel, which is in a great position. Pretty much you can walk everywhere. If you can't, get a taxi. And it's not too bad. Obviously, plenty of restaurants, of course, and lots to see. Great city. And while you're in Italy, why don't you just do the big three? Go to Florence and Venice also. As you can imagine, Rome is easy to get through. There's direct flights from virtually anywhere, uh, especially from uh, around Europe and also from the United States. The drive into the city from the airport is not that far either. Okay, so it may be on your bucket list already, but it's definitely worth a visit. Now, one of the most famous statues is Christ the Redeemer. You know you've seen it. It's actually in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. It's like it's an Art Deco statue of Jesus. And it was created by a French sculptor by the name of Paul Landowski and built by a Brazilian engineer called Hater de Silva Costa. And he worked in collaboration with a French engineer, Albert Cacoy, and a Romanian sculptor called Jorge Leonida. The Romanian gentleman actually fashioned the face of this iconic statue. And it's perfectly placed because it's high up and uh, Jesus Christ is standing there with his arms spread, looking over the city as if he's taking care of the city from high up. The view up there of Rio is spectacular. It is one of the most beautiful looking cities in the world. It does have an element of crime, but of course, like any other major city on the planet, you just don't go venturing into those areas. So if you go, stay at Copacabana Beach or Ipanema Beach. And if any of the locals ask you to go to a soccer game, it's worth it. Do not go by yourself. So there's lots you can do in Rio. And if you get an extra day there, then take a quick trip down to Sao Paulo, which is sort of a, a massive sized city. I can't remember the population, but uh, it's very built up, got a lot of character. Okay, so uh, that is definitely worth seeing. And I was very fortunate to be able to go and enjoy Rio de Janeiro. I just want to add to this about Rio. There's direct flights there uh, from Atlanta. That's the trip I took from Atlanta direct to Rio. The flight takes off in the evening. It flies through the night, gets you there in the morning. 10 hours, you won't get much jet lag. You may get a bit because there isn't much of a time zone difference. It's not like flying across the Atlantic Ocean, all right? So my suggestion is once you get to Rio, get yourself a hotel, rest up for the day or the second day as well before you go uh, touring around that great city. A bit more about adventure and exploring. I'm going to name a few places here. Madagascar. Never thought of that one, did you? Madagascar is that huge island off the southeastern coast of the continent of Africa. The wildlife and diverse landscape is wonderful there. It contains wildlife that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. The best way to get there is um, probably fly down either to Tanzania, Dar es Salaam, or stop at Nairobi, Kenya, and take a flight across. My recommendation is get to the capital city or get to the airport, um, rest for the day, and rent a car and drive. Right? No need for a guided tour, in my estimation. Uh, just, I mean, obviously, maps you can borrow. It's easy to drive around there. 
And talking about that neck of the woods, Zimbabwe, and it could be Zambia, by the way, obviously one of the greatest forces of nature is there, Victoria Falls. I could not believe it. I flew into Victoria, Zambia, and even from 30,000 feet up on a clear day, which it was, you could see the falls, spray coming off the falls. So I landed at Victoria, uh, stayed at the uh, Royal Livingston Hotel, which is fabulous, and had my own room there, which was in a safari park all kinds of wildlife there as well. But from my room, I was able to walk to Victoria Falls. It's unbelievable sight, as you can imagine. It's the largest waterfall in the world by volume of water, that is. It's just spectacular and gives you a really good appreciation from Mother Nature's wonders. You can actually walk over the bridge to Zimbabwe. That's actually recommended because the views from the Zimbabwe side are probably a little bit better. And as you go across the bridge, you may see some bungee jumpers there. These are the insane people that jump off the bridge and drop a few hundred feet, but they don't actually reach the bottom, of course, which is the Zambezi River. <laughs> it's an insane, insane activity. I don't know why anyone would do that. Anyway, of course, flying down there, you can fly into Johannesburg, uh, spend a few days there and get, a, I think, the National Airline flight. It's about one hour, 40 minutes up to Zambia or even uh, Zimbabwe. Down in South America, there is the area of Patagonia. Best to go at the right time of the year, obviously. Don't go in the winter months. Sightseeing is unbelievable there, and there's plenty of opportunities for it. Fly down into Buenos Aires. Like I mentioned before, pretty much like Rio, there's daily flights down there, best I can imagine, into Rio. Uh, it's a little bit longer flight, of course, from Buenos Aires. You can actually drive or get a bus. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a long drive. Or you could get a commuter flight to Punta Arenas Airport. And from there, you can take a car and look at the fields and part of the Southern Andes. A Patagonia is actually part of Argentina and the country of Chile. Back to Africa, Tanzania itself. Two things stand out there, the Serengeti and the Ngorongoro Crater. I know someone has been to both of these. Spectacular for wildlife and spookiness, which the crater is and unbelievable scenery is worth going to. You can fly into Dar es Salaam, then take an inline, uh, inland flight closer and stay at one of the, the lodges there. Norway is famous for the fjords. Yes, you can go to Oslo, great city. Norway just happens to have the highest human development index rate in the world. There's a reason for that, by the way. Anyway, you go there for the fjords. A good way to see it is on a cruise ship, actually. Cru plenty of cruise ships, uh, especially Viking, sail up in that area and you can just be on the ship's deck and look at the wonders there uh, from the comfort of your own ship or if you want to do your own thing the best airport to fly into is bergen airport bergen airport b-e-r-g-e-n from there you can rent a car and do it yourself you may have heard about the movie seven years in tibet with brad pitt well the movie was not filmed in tibet they would never be allowed or get permission to do so. But Tibet should be on a bucket list. Not many people have gone there that I know. I've, I spent several days there, uh, mainly because it's challenging to get there. Firstly, you have to get a visa from the Chinese government to actually go to China in the first place. Then you have to approach a Tibet travel company who will get you a permit. But if you, or when you apply for a Chinese visa, you don't mention that you are going to Tibet or else it will be declined. 
Now, the process I went through to get there is I flew Trans-Pacific. I landed at Shanghai, which is worth a stopover, by the way, and then uh, stay in Shanghai city center for a couple of days. The ride from the airport to the city center of Shanghai, you could do by could do it by taxi. It takes an hour, or you could ride on the world's fastest train, the Maglev train, which will take you eight minutes. If you do that, sit forward facing on the train. Anyway, I spent two days in uh, Shanghai. Great city, very modern, spectacular buildings. It's like a, a, a colorful display at night worth seeing. From there, I took a flight to Chengdu, China, which is Western China. Again, I stayed there for a couple of days. There, I picked up my permit to go to Tibet. Then I took an airline to Lhasa, Tibet. One piece of advice here is, if you think you may suffer from altitude sickness, then read about it and take some tablets before you go. Tibet is about between 12 and 13,000 feet in elevation. And Tibet used to be the Dalai Lama's home up until 1959. But its place of residence is still there. It's an iconic place. It's the Patala Palace. It's got thousands of rooms and thousands of statues there. And you can go in and take a tour around. You have to be guided, of course. You can't go anywhere in Tibet without a guide. You can't do it by yourself. It has to be with a tour company, a licensed tour company. Not a problem. Uh, like many, I don't like organized tours, but you know, some places you go to, you just can't help it. So you'll see the wonderful buildings and monasteries in Lhasa Tibet. You can watch the monks debating, go to these wonderful places. I stayed in an old Tibetan guest house there. Felt sort of like one of the locals. The place is steeped in religion. There's people sitting in the middle of the street praying and walking around with their prayer wheels. It is quite something. It's a cultural change, almost a cultural shock, actually. You have never been to a place like it before in your life. If you get the urge, it's well worth it. I did it, and I am really glad. What I should have done, and I didn't, is take the two-day trip to the Everest base camp. It's a long drive, and you have to overnight somewhere. And I didn't do it, uh, mainly because I had to be in another country within two days after that. So I I, I didn't have enough time, basically. My mistake. Anyway, uh, one more piece of adventure here is the country of Bhutan. And you're probably asking where on earth is Bhutan? It is even a country. And yes, it is. It's a landlocked country in the middle of the Himalayas. Again, you have to get permission to go there. It's been cut off from civilization for centuries. It's coming around a little bit, but they're doing it at their own pace and rightfully so. It's a a big culture change for you. Again, you have to get a permit to go there. And even when you fly there, the only uh, airline that flies into Paro-Bhutan is Druk Airlines, the national airline of the country. They have a fleet of four planes, but it's in the middle of the Himalayas. In fact, the airport is the most challenging in which to land in the world. I didn't know that until I landed, (laughs) believe it or not. Anyway, the main reason for going to Bhutan for me was to climb up to Tiger's Nest Monastery, uh, which used to be be a meditation center, actually, but uh, it was now a monastery. Monks still reside there today. It is 10,300 feet up on the side of a cliff. You can walk to it, just don't stand near the edge, all right? And again, it's a guided tour, but this is an unbelievable place. If you like things that are spiritual, this is the place to go to. I wasn't before I went there, but when I went in one of the meditation rooms at Tiger's Nest Monastery, I just had this feeling of sort of emptiness and sense of something 
important, really special. I can hardly describe it, but if you want to see a picture of this place, just go on Google. Google Tiger's Nest Monastery, Bhutan, B-H-U-T-A-M. Wonderful experience it was. Now, the USA, United States of America, yeah, I live here. But what, I, what I'm doing is what a lot of people don't do. I've got a tour. I've seen a lot of the United States in the time I've been here, but there's more of it I would like to see. I'm going to do more touring of the States when I get tired of getting on planes and going far away. There will come a time. I can almost taste it now, but there will come a time, and then I'll do more of traveling around the USA and probably Canada. There's lots to see in the States. That's for another time. Now, other things you could do. The longest railway in the world, the longest distance, the Trans-Siberian Railway, take out of Moscow and travel the length of Russia. It's an awesome thing to do. It's about 5,600 miles, but the railway itself or the service is actually pretty darn good. Worth doing. Antarctic. Yeah, worth a visit. Everything I say is worth a visit if we have enough time to do it. Cruise ships go down there and they stay there. The dock, you can actually fly, but you could do uh, paddle boarding and some other exercises or drive on the ice if you want. There's certain things you can do. Kayaking is something you can do there as well. It's a place where not many people go to. Obviously, you can only go there at certain times of the year uh, because of weather. Now, talking about scenery, how about the outback in Australia? Land at Sydney or land at Perth, either side of the country, drive across. It's going to take you a while, probably take you a couple of weeks, but you'll see a lot of nothing. I know people have done it, or you could just drive around the coastline if you want. But if you drive through the middle, you can go to Alice Springs, actually, and go and visit that iconic rock. Now, while you're in the neighborhood, visit uh, New Zealand. Trek Milford Sand. This is the famous place, actually. It was used in a number of movies, especially Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you know that. And if you see Lord of the Rings, you see this spectacular scenery, and you probably think, that looks beautiful there. That's where it was, Milford Sand in New Zealand. Now, England doesn't seem like too much of an adventure, does it? Well, of course, I was born and raised in England, but, you know, the big cities are worth going to, the castles, historical buildings, etc. But if you've been to England a couple of times before, then do something different. Visit the countryside, beautiful countryside, and there's an area in central England called the Cotswolds. And there are these lovely villages all around the Cotswolds, anywhere between four and ten miles apart. What you can do is start off at one and trek your way to a different village each night. It takes about four, four or five miles or ten miles. You can do it or you can cycle and take in the culture because there is a lot of culture there. Quirky it may be, visit a tea room, visit a pub, visit an Indian restaurant. A lot of things to do and I've done it and it's actually a lot of fun. You'd be surprised who you meet on your trip. Okay, back to the more adventurous stuff. Africa. Well, there's so many things to do there. Kruger National Park, um, visit the Zambezi River, go to Nairobi or the Serengeti, like I mentioned before. But on my bucket list is a country of Namibia. The desert there is, well, it's the oldest desert in the world. The sites are supposed to be spectacular. So I'm going to try and do that one day. And also in Africa is Mount Kilimanjaro. Yes, it's one of those things I wanted to do is climb up Mount Kilimanjaro. It's about seven to days 
seven to 10 days uh, of strenuous activity. I may be past that now, it's 19,300 feet high. It's challenging, um, I haven't ruled it out. But with Namibia, the first one I mentioned, you can fly direct to Windhoek from Amsterdam, or if not, you can stop over at Luanda, Angola for a couple of days. That's a real modern city, by the way, and take the short flight down to Windhoek. Once you're in Windhoek, stay overnight for a couple of days there, then take the trip into the desert. You could drive, or you could take a small commuter flight, like a Cessna or something like that. Kilimanjaro, it does have an airport, uh, not many flights to it. However, the best way is uh, because Kilimanjaro is in Tanzania, is to fly into Dar es Salaam or even Nairobi, and then uh, take a small flight over to that area. Even if you don't climb Kilimanjaro, you can walk around the mountain at a lower altitude if you want to and see nature. Okay, moving on. Now, let's categorize things a little bit here. Some of you may be avid scuba divers like myself. These are the best diving sites that I've been to ever. They're in Fiji, the Maldives, Thailand, the Philippines, Borneo, Vietnam, French Polynesia, and the Caribbean. I've also been fortunate to go to the two documented best dive sites of the world. One's in Palau in Micronesia. It's famous for Blue Corner. If you want to be surrounded by sharks, uh, that's the place to go to. Quite spectacular. Diving there is quite unbelievable. Palau is about a three-hour flight from Manila heading east to Micronesia. The second wonderful dive spot is the remote area of Sipadan. It's an island. It's virtually cut off. It's three, well, I would say it's about an hour or so boat ride out of southern Borneo. There's a town called Semporna. You've got to get a boat ride from Semporna to get to an island you can stay on. I stayed at Mammal Island. Then you've got to have a permit. You need to get this six months in advance, by the way. And there's a boat trip you can take to Sipadan. The abundance of marine life is quite unbelievable there. I saw schools of jackfish and barracuda. You want to be surrounded by literally thousands of them. It's a protected area. The Malaysian government have done a wonderful job protecting this special area. It's a marine park and it's a national park. They make sure that no one goes there without a permit. There's a check-in desk even. They do police it, so don't break the law. And that's in the southern part of Borneo. Now, if you like golf, I do. I play golf uh, once a week when I can, back in the States. And I've been fortunate to play the old course in Scotland, which is a lot of fun, by the way, especially if you use the Scottish golf caddies. There's golf courses all over the world. I remember going on vacation to the island of Phuket, and there's some wonderful courses there. It's mountainous. The golf courses are immaculate, absolutely immaculate. They have had some championships there as well. There's one club champion, uh, that I recognize the name of there, Tiger Woods is a, a champion of uh, one of the uh, uh, the golf courses there. They will assign you a, a Thai golf caddy, and it will be a female. She's responsible for driving the car, cleaning your golf balls, recommending shots you take, taking your clubs out of the bag for you, doing everything. It's a great experience. The only time I've ever had a, a caddy, and just tip them afterwards. The courses are in immaculate condition. Others, to pique your interest, a visit to Red Square Moscow, do it during the winter. Why not do it for a lap? 
in the winter months. See it for what it is. Unbelievable architecture there, as is St. Petersburg, Russia, if you get a chance to go there. These two places are steeped in history. Learn a bit about it before you go, and you'll enjoy it even more. And you could isolate yourself on a Caribbean island. I've done it a couple of times, but I remember North Caicos in the Turks and Caicos Islands. Providencialis is the main touristy area. You can get a ferry over to North Caicos, and then you can stay in a lodge over there, and you can find a beach and be isolated. It's called the Robertson Crusoe Effect. All right, for this podcast, I've taken a lot of time up here. I provided you with some ideas. Now, I've been to many of these places, and I can talk about it, like Bhutan or Tibet. There'll be a podcast forthcoming about my trip to these places, given really a lot of detail about my experience there. Uh, Look out for those. I'll be doing them fairly soon. But anyway, for now, I appreciate you listening to this podcast today. I hope to be speaking to you soon. All right. So it's goodbye from Malcolm Teasdale, the travel addict, and we'll meet again sometime soon. All right. Bye for now. Just one more thing. Don't forget to check me out at my website, malcolmjteasdale.com, M-A-L-C-O-L-M-J-T-E-A-S-D-A-L-E. Bye for now.